I read it and I was just blown away. I'm like, I'm from California, born and bred, and I'd never heard of him. I was really shocked by that because his story is amazing. Christian Clifford is a Catholic author based in California. He's written extensively about the history of the Spanish missions, which were founded by St. Junipero Serra and served to bring Catholicism to the area for the first time. Clifford was actually in the depths of research into the life of St. Serra when he came across the story of a man he had never heard of before, Pablo Toc. Pablo was a member of the Luiseno tribe of Native Americans, who inhabited what is today a heavily populated area of Southern California. What really caught Clifford's attention though? Pablo was Catholic. He's so little known and it's like in California, fourth graders learn this history, the California mission history, Native American or Native Californian history, and uh, he's not noted at all. And it's like, I don't, it, it's, it boggles my mind. It really does. When you can literally take his story and, 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 and see correlations with these stories that we're all aware of, you know, most of us, right, growing up, Sequoia, Pocahontas, and of course, those of us who are Catholic, you know, Teke, in, in the United States, uh, Tequitha, Kateri Tequitha, the young Mohawk girl who was so devoted to Christ and the church. This week on the podcast, we want to share Pablo's story and also revisit the story of one of our favorite Native American Catholics, Nicholas Black Elk. All of this in honor of Native American Heritage Month. Clifford believes that sharing stories like that of Pablo Toc can empower Native American Catholics, who, all too often, feel they cannot embrace both their Native heritage and their Catholic faith without sacrificing one or the other. They're almost silenced, you know, their histories exist, but they're not prominent and they, sh they should be better known because I think it will really change the narrative and the discussion because right now it's toxic and it's a it's a either or proposition rather than a both and, and it's really complex history it's really complex history you're listening to CNA Newsroom the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines I'm your host Jonah McKeown Pablo Toc was born in the 1820s at the Mission San Luis Rey, the largest of the California missions, in what is today Oceanside, California. As we mentioned, he was a member of the Luiseno tribe, who lived in Southern California not far from the coast, between modern-day Los Angeles and San Diego. Pablo was very much a product of the California mission system. His family lived and worked on the mission. His parents were converts to the Catholic faith, and Pablo himself was baptized Catholic. When Pablo was 12 years old, he and another young Luiseno boy left the familiarity of California for Rome, along with the Spanish Franciscan who founded the mission San Luis Rey. Clifford said Pablo's departure was likely very hard for his parents. It must have been a real struggle, but they must have been like, uh, you know, some parents today, I would assume, that... Uh, hey, I think this is going to be better for our son. This is going to be better for our people. Therefore, they were willing to sacrifice his uh, going to Rome. And it was a long journey for Pablo. 
The trio first traveled to Mexico to visit San Fernando College, where almost all of the Franciscan missionaries studied before being sent to the California missions. They then boarded a ship passing through New York City, France, and then on to Barcelona. The Franciscan missionary stopped in Barcelona, his home, but Pablo and his companion continued on to Rome, where they enrolled in 1834 at Urban College, a seminary that specialized in training missionaries. I, I really uh, try to stress that point. It's like, here he is as not even a teenager yet, and he's he's done more in his life than, than I think a lot of people, just courageous. It was while at seminary that Pablo truly blossomed. He used his knowledge of both Spanish and Latin to create a dictionary of his native language, reminiscent of Sequoia, who had created the written form of the Cherokee language around the same time. Pablo wrote about the history of the Luiseno tribe. He also wrote about life as he knew it on a California mission. His writings are considered to be some of the earliest from a California Native American. Pablo even recited a poem in his native language in front of an audience at the Polyglot Academy in Rome. Where all these great wealthy Romans, you know, came uh, every year, right, right after um, the New Year. They, they had this big celebration. Pablo was proud of his heritage, and he embraced his Catholic faith, taking an oath in 1839 to become a priest. He planned to return to Southern California to serve as a missionary to his own tribe. But as his ordination neared, Pablo fell ill. He died unexpectedly in 1841 after receiving last rites. It was, it was highly unfortunate, but it just reminds us that, uh, you know, a majority of the, the natives that died in the California missions was due to foreign disease. And a, a lot of it actually came after the, the pandemics and epidemics after Sarah. Pablo's companion had also died of a foreign disease a few years before Pablo. Clifford said it's known where Pablo's companion is buried, but Pablo's resting place remains unclear. Pablo's writings were archived in Rome following his death, but his story went largely untold for a century following. But people are aware of him among his people. Clifford met with several members of the Luiseno tribe at a recent conference. He asked them if they knew about Pablo Talk, and they told him they did. In fact, they have a devotion to him. A couple of years ago, Clifford started a petition asking the Diocese of San Diego to open Pablo Talk's cause for sainthood. The petition has since garnered more than 500 signatures. My hope is the Luisenos themselves, but uh, they some are receptive, some are not. Again, I think it's really sensitive because some seem to choose sides, you know, and it's like, oh, we're public, we hate Sarah, we hate the missions. And so it's hard to kind of say, okay, now we, we like this guy, one of our own native sons, but he clearly was a Catholic and loved the church. It's pretty clear that a lot more research needs to be done into Pablo's life. Clifford himself wrote one of the only available general reference books about Pablo. And because of Pablo's connection to the California mission system, his sainthood cause could prove controversial. Unfortunately, Pablo, you know, it kind of is a reminder, you know, for, for these activist groups that uh, attack Sarah and the mission system, and some of it's sincere, a lot of it is just anger. Um, in those circles, public talk's not even brought up. I mean, and they, I'm pretty sure they're aware of it, but uh, they don't want to give any, it seems, uh, credence to uh, the positives of the mission system. 
Clifford says taking up Pablo's cause for sainthood and shining a spotlight on his witness as a proud Native American and a devoted Catholic could prove to be healing. It's very clear that he is a holy, holy youth, very much uh, reminiscent of St. Kateri Tekakwitha, the first uh, canonized Native American saint. So hopefully Pablo will follow in her footsteps someday and be more uh, recognized by uh, Catholics in the United States, uh, around the world. I think he might be a, a really good friend in heaven. After the break, we'll revisit the story of a famous Native American who you've definitely heard of and who may have been Catholic, as well as another Native American who maybe you haven't heard of, but was most definitely Catholic. It'll all make sense, I promise. Stay with us. This is Autumn Jones. I'm a staff writer here at Catholic News Agency. I'm based in the Denver newsroom and I'm an avid skier and tennis player here in the Rocky Mountains. I love to write about evangelization, apostolates, and how the church serves the most vulnerable in our society. I enjoy listening to CNA Newsroom because I like hearing the voices of the people in our stories come to life. CNA Newsroom gives me a chance to learn about what is important to everyday Catholics as they seek to live out their faith. If you like listening to CNA Newsroom as much as I do, you should do what I did and subscribe. Subscribing is easy and free on whatever podcast app you prefer. Just open the podcast app on your phone, search for CNA Newsroom, and tap the subscribe button. That's it. Now you'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your phone so you won't miss a single one. And while you're there, consider writing us a review or leave us a five-star rating. Ratings and reviews help new listeners find the show. And now, back to the episode. Just a quick note that we first produced the following segment in 2019. Enjoy. If you're like most Americans who grew up making paper pilgrim hats, turkeys, and cornucopias in elementary school... You've probably heard the story of Squanto before. Way back in 1621, the pilgrims, lacking both skills and resources necessary to survive in the harsh territory of New England, encountered a miracle. Here's this native who appears out of the wilderness speaking English. This is Dr. Damien Costello, a Catholic historian and theologian. He was, um, very instrumental in helping them adapt to the North American environment. Probably would not have survived without his help, and he was a key intermediary between the local people and the pilgrims. Squanto's full name was Tusquantum, and he was a member of the Patuxet tribe, who lived in and around modern-day Plymouth, Massachusetts. It seemed like he was probably born around 1585 in the area that is now Boston. The pilgrims who arrived in Plymouth from England in November 1620 weren't the first Europeans to arrive on these shores by any means. The Jesuits were already starting their missionary activity. English explorers were also active in the area. This is really where Squanto's story begins, because historians really don't know anything about his early life. He was abducted 
by an Englishman, uh, Thomas Hunt, in 1614. And he seems to have ended up in Malaga, Spain. Uh, he was probably sold by Hunt there. And the story goes that uh, a group of Franciscans bought him in order to free him from slavery and were interested in educating him in the faith. He spent a number of years in Europe. He made it to England, eventually to Newfoundland, and then back home in 1619. When Squanto finally arrived back to where his tribe lived in present-day Massachusetts, his life took a tragic turn. He found that his entire tribe had been wiped out by disease, and he, the only survivor. When the pilgrims arrived, the now empty Patuxet land made a good place to settle, and Patuxet became Plymouth. In March 1621, the chief of the Wampanoag Confederation, Massasoit, went to meet with the pilgrims and brought Squanto along to translate. The negotiations didn't go very well, and long story short, Squanto ended up staying with the pilgrims and helped to facilitate what we now know as the first Thanksgiving. You know, it's easy to assume that Squanto was, would have been a victim sort of paralyzed by his abduction, but the record portrays a very skillful agent who was actively engaging European life and culture. And this is exemplified by his ability to speak English. Um, and even more impressive, finding his way back to his homeland. There are some Catholic commentators out there that claim definitively that Squanto was not only baptized in Spain, but also catechized and fully embraced the Catholic faith. But is this really what the admittedly thin historical record shows? I don't think that it's unlikely that Squanto became Catholic on some level. I mean, I think it's likely he received baptism, and therefore, theologically, he was Catholic. And I, I don't think it's unlikely that he saw it as a positive spiritual experience and had some sort of role in his life. Squanto, um, finding himself in this new place, uh, this new environment, new peoples, he would have been looking for a way to make a spiritual connection uh, with those surroundings. We're going to shift gears here, because although we don't know for sure if Squanto was Catholic, there is one prominent Native American, Damien told me, that we know for sure was Catholic. He lived almost 250 years after Squanto, when settlers were crossing the Great Plains and expanding the territory of the burgeoning United States. I am currently the vice postulator for Nicholas Black Elk's cause for canonization in the Catholic Church. Black Elk was born sometime between 1858 and 1866. He was a cousin to the famous Lakota warrior, Crazy Horse. Black Elk toured Europe with Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show, and he made friendships, he fell in love. He survived on his own when he and a few friends missed the boat back to North America. And he was also impressed by Christian teachings. Black Elk was actually involved in the infamous Battle of Wounded Knee in 1890. At that battle, the United States Army gunned down an estimated 300 Lakotas. Black Elk himself was injured in that battle. Even before his conversion, Black Elk became famous thanks to a book by the poet John Nyhart that portrayed Black Elk's early life in a very tragic narrative and portrays Black Elk himself as something of a relic of the old ways of Native America. Black Elk was nothing like the portrayal in Black Elk Speaks. I mean, he, he did all those things. He was at Battle of Little Bighorn, Wounded Knee. But after Wounded Knee, he became Catholic. 
and he became a very active Catholic, a leader in the church. Black Elk's first wife, who he married two years after Wounded Knee, is believed to have brought the family's children into the church first. And after she died, Black Elk came into the church himself in 1904, taking the confirmation name Nicholas because he admired the saint's generosity. Black Elk had a long-standing interest in Christianity. You know, he toured in Europe. He reported back very enthusiastically about some Christian ideas. Um, you know, we have the benefit of three letters that Black Elk wrote about his time in Europe, and they all refer to Christianity. The final one quoting uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's great treatise on love, and Black Elk says that this was the best thing he found on his journey um, through North America and Europe. Like many of his ancestors, Nicholas Black Elk had previously been a medicine man, which combined the roles of medical doctor, spiritual advisor, and counselor. It can't be overemphasized how conventional a lot of Black Elk's Catholicism was. You know, he he appreciated and promoted the old ways, but his Catholic life was very, you know, conventional to the norms of his time. He was had a great devotion to the Rosary, uh, the Sacred Heart. He was remembered even in his very old age, walking walking to church with this one friend, um, saying the Rosary. Jesuit missionaries in South Dakota chose Black Elk as a catechist in 1907 for his enthusiasm and his excellent memory for learning scripture and church teaching. He traveled around on horseback teaching the Catholic faith. His efforts brought more than 400 people into the church. You know, like a lot of things in Indian country, things that maybe a lot of us would assume have little or no meaning in native contexts often do. You know, whether it's military service, Christianity, or something like Thanksgiving. Nicholas Black Elk actually had a special prayer that he would recite from memory every Thanksgiving. I am talking to you, Grandfather Great Spirit, on this day. Pitifully, I sit here. I am speaking for my relatives, my children, my grandchildren, and all my relatives, wherever they might be. Hear me, Grandfather Great Spirit. With your help, our needs are taken care of. You have helped us in the time of want during the past, and on this day we wish to thank you. I, my children, and my grandchildren shall walk, led like children, by your hand. You have helped us in all things, and Grandfather Great Spirit, through your power alone we have survived. One day we shall go and arrive at the end of the road, in that future, we shall be without any sin at all. And so it will be in the same manner for all my grandchildren and relatives who will follow us as well. We give you thanks, Grandfather Great Spirit. I am sending this prayer to you. Nicholas Black Elk died in 1950. The Diocese of Rapid City has opened Nicholas Black Elk's sainthood cause, and earlier this year sent all their research materials to the Vatican. Time will tell when the Native American catechists will hopefully be declared venerable, and eventually, perhaps even, become the second canonized Native American saint in history. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. 
I'm your host, Jonah McKeown. I produce and edit this show with the help of our executive producer, Kate Oliveira. A very special thanks this week to Christian Clifford and to Damian Costello for speaking to us in 2019. We hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving. God bless and see you next time.